0: For those of you guys watching online from coast to coast and across the Fruited Plains, my name's Joe. I'm the pastor here at Lynchburg City Church and if God puts it on your heart to give, you can do so by going to lynchburgcitychurch.com. With that, please pray with me. Jesus, we love you because you first loved us. Wow, what, what huge words. We love you because you first loved us. Lord, today I pray that you would awaken in us that saving, electing love in which you died for us, in which you illustrated in dying for us. I pray, Lord, for those of us today who need encouragement, that you would give encouragement. And and for those of us who maybe we need conviction, I pray for conviction. I pray that you would uh, align our lives with your word and with your commandments. God, we think of our leaders, for President Biden, Help him to make good and wise decisions. I pray for a special grace upon him, upon his health, upon his mental faculties, Lord. Guide and direct him. Lord, for our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, coast guardsmen, those serving at home and abroad, we pray, Lord, for their safety and we pray for their salvation, Jesus. So many of those guys that don't know you, please save them. Please save them, God. And Lord, we think of the persecuted church as we do every week for Leah Sherabu, still another year being held by Boko Haram in Nigeria because she's a Christian and and Pastor Yusuf imprisoned in Iran and Pastor Wang and, and Pastor John imprisoned in China for the Christians, Lord, in North Korea and Afghanistan. Lord, for the Christians in the South Sudan and Eritrea and Nigeria, help them. And we, right now, Lord, we remember those who are in chains as if in chains with them. Strengthen their faith, God. Help us not to forget about them. And Lord, today, today, God, I pray um, that you would give us ears to hear. I pray for a fresh filling of the Spirit in my life. I pray that you'd protect me from error. I pray, God, that you would help me to say only what you want me to say. If there's something... God, if there's something you don't want me to say today that I'm planning on saying, don't let me say it. And Lord, if there's something that I need to say that I have not even prepared or thought about, I pray you'd give me a word today. We want to hear from you. We need to hear from you, Lord. Jesus, help us. Incline our hearts to you now. Help us to focus. Free us from anxiety. Free us from whatever, like, stressors or, or distractions are or, or competing for Your attention. We pray this in your name, amen. All right. Part 41. Um, If you've never been here before, we love expository preaching because it's awesome. That's it. Um, That's where you go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so this is the 41st sermon Uh, I am going to preach in the book of Genesis. We've probably got four more left as we close this saga and journey. But we are in chapter 46, this is part 41. I realize I haven't stood up here and preached in Genesis in probably five weeks or six. It's been a while. That being said, here's kind of like a recap. Last time in Genesis, Joseph has just revealed his identity to his family members, to his brothers. Remember, they thought he was dead because they basically sent him on a death sentence when they sold him into slavery. He's revealed himself to his brothers. He tells them, is dad alive? They said, yeah, dad's alive. He said, go get dad. Tell him, tell him that I'm alive and and bring him down. And so that, that's where the story picks up today. Part 41, chapter 46, it says this. So Israel, no, that's another name for Jacob. So Israel took his journey with all he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. So, here's what, here's what I want you to know. He's traveling down to Egypt, on the way, stops in Beersheba to worship God. You know, this is only the second time where we see Joseph's dad stop to worship God. And, and if you remember, Jacob, he hasn't been hmm, he hasn't been a particularly godly man, but, but here is why this, I think, is really encouraging, because some of you might be here right now, and this is maybe the first time you've been to a church gathering in several weeks or longer. Right? Perhaps for, for some of you, this is still a relatively new phenomenon. because six months ago or a year ago well, you took a major detour in your life and and quite frankly, not the good kind of detour. And so here's Jacob, right? Here's Jacob, he's worshiping God and this is a big deal for Jacob because he hasn't always acted this way. And if you're anything like him, sometimes we mistakenly fall into the trap and we mistakenly think, well, I'll worship God when it's all said and done. And that's not good. You see, it's when you're in the middle of life That's when it's so important, that you're making God the right priority. It's in the middle of life that it's so important that you're giving and serving and worshiping and gathering and meeting in God's presence. And notice one other thing about verse one. When he stops here, he stops his whole family. See, for parents, and more specifically for fathers, it is a huge opportunity to lead the family and say, you know what, Little League, I love Little League. Little League's great. Little league isn't God. Dance. Dance is great, right? Little girls, they like to do dance. That's great. It's not God. Nor is swimming or family vacations. They're all great. They're not God. Why? Because only God is God. This is why I love Genesis 46. Because when Jacob stops here, the whole family stops. When dad says, we're doing this, the whole family joins in, makes God a priority. And the text will reveal momentarily to us, when he does this, he's got 65 other people with him right now on this trip, right? It's complicated. It's chaotic. It's hectic. But he stops to lead the family in worship. He doesn't fall into the trap that says, well, we'll do all that God and church stuff after this busy season of life. He says, we'll do it right now. You know, one of the reasons I've changed my mind over the years about the importance, I think, of having young kids just as a Just as a philosophy of ministry, of having young kids in the service is because I don't think anything could be more valuable to them than to be able to watch mom and specifically dad standing and worshiping and singing and praying and listening and responding with the saints, with the church, even more important than their age-segregated Sunday school classes, which are good and helpful. But in this story, everyone gets to see Jacob doing this. In other words, when we respond like Jacob, the whole family gets to watch. They get to see how we act, how we worship. If we worship during the chaos of life, they get to watch dad captain the family ship. And and here's the thing about this. If dad doesn't say, we're doing this, we're stopping in Beersheba, we're worshiping God. In most families, in most instances, odds are no one else will either. I say that to future dads. Say that, because that is the reality, that is the importance. Notice what it says in verse two and three. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid. Go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. He says, I'm the God of your father. And the reason this is so beautiful is because far too often, this is not something we're familiar with. Like, I don't think anything could be cooler than to have a series of sons who worship the same God as their father. And, and some of you are like me. Your dad doesn't worship God. And neither did your grandfathers before him. And so some of you guys, some of you guys have the opportunity to be the first in your family line to set the tone. And how you captain the ship that is your family and your future family, then it's gonna make a difference for generations to come. And so here God is speaking to Jacob. He's speaking to him very directly here. And he says, do not be afraid. Understand that, that fear is something that people in every generation they struggle with, they deal with. And so he, there's this command. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. You know, this command or this variation of this command shows up over 150 plus times in the Bible. There are many things in life that hold the potential to strike fear in us. And I promise you, at some point in this new year, A situation is going to occur in your life that will frighten you or stress you out to the point where you're losing sleep or you're losing tears or a combination of the two and and you need assurance. You need to hear what Jacob hears. Don't be afraid, Jacob. Have you ever felt that way? Do you ever feel fragile or vulnerable? You've got so many deadlines, right? Right? You're looking at the syllabus. How am I going to get all this done? And classes haven't even started. You've got so many expectations. You've got so many appointments. You've got so many things to do. And you're like, how is this ever going to get done? And in these moments, there's typically two responses. One, you're either frozen in fear. Or two, you run to things that bring you comfort while forsaking the God of our fathers. And I would submit to you there is a third option in those moments of vulnerability. And weakness, and that is preaching the promises of God. Do you know why we memorize verses, people? I didn't know. I thought, you know, a little boy just memorized a verse, right? Because I get a cookie or something, right? There's a little motivation. I submit to you, there's more motivation, right? remember time, driving down this road right here on Greenview, tears rolling down my eyes back in 2014, just going through one of the hardest seasons of my life, just preaching the promises of God to myself. I'm the only one there, and my little Ford Ranger preaching the promises of God. Preaching these I will statements of God to yourself. See, our confidence like Jacob is rooted in the promises. They are rooted in these I will statements. And so, the text continues. Verse 5. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, and their wives, and the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan. And they came into Egypt, and Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the son of Reuben, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi, the sons of Simeon. Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaol, the sons of the Canaanite woman, the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, Merari, the sons of Judah, Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, Zerah, but Ur and Onan died in the land of, the, of Canaan, and the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamuel, the sons of Issachar, Tola, Puva, Yab, and Shemron, the sons of Zebulun, Sarad, Elon, and Jahil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob and Paddan Aram together with his daughter Dinah, all together his sons and his daughters, numbered 33, and the sons of Gad, and Haggai, Shunai, Esbon, Uri, Arodi and Ariel. the sons of Asher, Imnah, Ishvah, Ishvai, Barai, and Sarah, their sister, the sons of Barai: Heber, and Malki. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin, and to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Anath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of An, bore to him. And the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Belkar, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ahai, Rosh, Muppam, Huppam, and Ard, these are the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all, the sons of Dan, Husham, the sons of Naphtali, Jaziel, Gunai, Jezer, and Chillam These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter. And these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. And I know, right now, we read that and you say, well, what's the point? It's like reading the phone book. Not too exciting. <clears throat> I get it. I get it. Not that interesting. And I, I think one of the reasons... One of the reasons we've got lists like these is to help God's people rightly think about the future. To help us rightly think about the future. So we come across big lists like that. I think at least in this story, it's to help us rightly think about the future. See, the people of God should be thinking generationally. God's people should be thinking about the future. Unlike, say, a foolish person who thinks only about the here and the now. I mean, I've got family members who are like this. They only think about the here and the now. And they live paycheck to paycheck, and they indulge themselves, and they buy things on credit, and they go into consumer debt, like not the good kind, and they never stop to think about the future. See, the list here in Genesis 46, at least a partial purpose is to help remind us there is another day after this one. January 15th. There is another day After this one, Jonathan Edwards, the name may be familiar, uh, preached during the Great Awakening in New England, preached sinners sinners in the hands of an angry God. Jonathan Edwards, he'd wake up every single morning and he would pray for his children and then he'd pray for his grandchildren and then he'd pray for their children and then he'd pray for their future children to the fifth generation. Every morning, Edwards did that. See, most people don't do that. Most people don't think that way. See, most people are encouraged to simply look inward. That's what the culture will try to do. Think about the here, think about the now, think about yourself. How can you indulge yourself? The truth is God doesn't want us to only think about our life, but about those who will come after us. Just remember the promise in, in chapter 46, verse 3, right out of the gate today. What was the repeated promise? Remember the I will statements of God? Where he says to Jacob, he says, Jacob, don't be afraid. Because I will make you into a great nation. And I will go down with you to Egypt and I will bring you up again. You see, a lot of people look at this story and they'll say, well, who cares? Jacob won't be around to see the fulfillment of the promises of God. You know, it's so hard to think about the future. Sometimes I think because our lives are so busy. We don't hit the pause button long enough to contemplate or meditate, especially if you might not even get to experience it. Who cares what happens down the road? Besides, I've got so much going on right now, my life is so hectic right now, I don't have the CPU to devote to thinking about the future, let alone future generations. So who really cares? At which point I would respond, God does. And for that reason, we should too. Because the goal, the goal, you say, what's the goal? The goal is spiritual legacy. That's the point of genealogy like this. It's legacy. And a lot of people, unfortunately, even Christians too, are, are very selfish in how they think. It reminds me of the story of King Hezekiah. Now, King Hezekiah is generally thought of as a good king. Um, most of the parts of his life, when the Assyrians surround, lay siege to Jerusalem, and Sennacherib's talking garbage, and he has the letter and lays it before the temple, and he's like, God, they're blaspheming your name. Are you going to let this slide? And God rescues them, and then later on in Hezekiah's life, when God says, get your affairs in order, your, your life is coming to an end, and Hezekiah prays that God would extend his life. And remember that, like, the sundial, the shadow goes back. When we think of those instances, but one of the instances that comes to mind in which Hezekiah is not painted a good light is later on in his life, when he has the Babylonian envoys come. He says, let me show you all my cool toys, right? That's my sports car there. That's my, my vacation house there. And he's just showing them all the wealth of Jerusalem, right? Just being this kind of braggadocious type person. And God comes and he says... Hezekiah, those same Babylonian envoys are going to come after you're dead and they're going to take away all these toys and all the wealth, right? And they're going to take away your future, like, children. And he basically shrugs his shoulders and you read the text and he's like, oh, well, that doesn't matter. I won't be around anyways to see it. I'll tell you what. Few things are sadder than seeing people who don't really care about the future who don't really care about future generations and they don't care about spiritual legacy and they don't care about discipleship because the people who get hurt are usually those people's children, many of whom turn their backs on God and abandon spiritual truths that their parents never really cared that much to pass down to them. You see, legacy matters. The future matters. Your children matter. Their future children matter. And their future children matter. Oh, that God would give us hearts like Edwards to care about and pray for future generations. Some of you guys, what many you guys aren't even married? Like, I can't even think that far. Okay. Does that mean you can't pray that far? So I love Edwards. He's praying to the fifth generation every day. Oh, that God would give us that type of heart, that type of mind that would free us from the cultural attacks that only incline us to think about the here and the now. And so the text says this, verse 26, and all the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons, wives, were 66 persons in all. And all the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. And all the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. I realize some of you may have just we're like, well, hold on a second. Don't preach the next verse yet because I'm, I'm trying to catch you up. It sounds like there's two different numbers he just gave. Yep, he did. It says 66 in verse 26 and it says 70 in verse 27. Did you see that? It's a good eye if you caught that. No, no, what's, what's the explanation there? My short answer is I'm not 100% sure. But from antiquity, there has been different ideas presented to help explain the difference between the 66 and the 70, I'll do a very mild attempt because if I don't, someone's going to definitely bring it up in small group. Um, there are many attempts. Uh, how do you reconcile the 66 and the 70? Which is the number? How many people did he have with him? Um, some would say, well, uh, in fact, this is, many commentators have suggested, well, if you add Joseph and his two sons to the original list, well, that bumps you up to 69. And others have still suggested that Well, you could round it up to 70 if you include God being there with him as well. And yet others have suggested perhaps the count would have been 70 if it were not for Judah's two sons that God killed. Remember Ur and Onan? And then if you left out Joseph's two sons, well, then you could in theory arrive at that number 66. But regardless, the numerical difference, the point of the story doesn't change. And the point is this. Jacob is leading his entire family in the path of worship, in the path of faith. That's the point. Whether it's 66 or 70 exactly, that's the point. He's leading his family. He's setting an example for his family. And so we continue. It says, he had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and he fell on his neck and he wept on his neck a good while. That phrase, a good while, significant, significant phrase to the text. It really illustrates the strong attachment that Joseph and his father have. And I think that that phrase, a good while, it also really captures the, the closeness of their relationship. Right, this is more than just a hug and we're done. He hasn't seen his dad since he was 17 years old. It's been 20 years. He's crying his eyes out. They're both crying their eyes out. It is a deep emotional moment right now. There is strong affection that Jacob and Joseph have for one another. Man, I remember the first time. The first time I I came, I went back to Alaska because that's where I'm from. I hadn't been to Alaska in I think eight years. I hadn't seen my dad in eight years go up to my dad, hug him. And he just stood there like a statue. Just like a statue, arms at his side. Hadn't seen him in eight years. And the reason that I mention that is because some of you, you hear this story and it only serves as a reminder of pain for you because you don't have that sort of relationship that Joseph has with his dad because you didn't grow up with a dad. You didn't even know your dad, or your dad was mean and cruel and harsh. And yet, on the other hand, some of you guys are so blessed. You're so blessed to have such a godly dad. And many of you don't even realize that. I'll tell you what, all the people like me, we realize it more than than you ever do. And I point this out because for those of you that do have a good father, you, you should give thanks to God right now. Right where you sit, you should give thanks to God. And for those of you who don't, here's what I want you to hear right now. In the story, Joseph sees his dad for the first time in 20 years. Why is that significant? It's significant. It's important for no other reason than for some of you guys who have broken relationships with your dad or your mom or other family members. And you're reminded of that pain. The the truth is, for some of you, even right now in this very moment, God is working on your dad or God is working on your mom or God is working on your family member. For Joseph, it's taken 20 years to get to this point. And, And I get it. No one likes waiting. But remember, God is always working for his people behind the scenes to mend and to fix broken things for our good and his glory. Oh, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Keep praying. And I also love man, how Joseph treats his father. So Jesus treats any one of us who turn to him and trust him. I love that they're just hugging and crying and just letting their emotions flow. It's a joyous moment right now. It really is. And so the text continues. It says this, verse 30. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Right, it's enough just to see you. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds for they have been keepers of livestock and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all they have. And when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, okay, here's what you gotta tell him. Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth. Even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. This is all part of Joseph's plan. His plan is, you come in, you're going to see Pharaoh, you tell him what your profession is, and that way he won't view you as a threat Like, none of you guys are kings. None of you guys are, like, military commanders. You're just ordinary Joes. Furthermore, this will help set our family up in such a way, okay, that we will have our own area to live in Goshen. Like, detached from mainstream Egyptian life. And our family, they won't be culturally mixed with the Egyptians. And we can preserve our way, especially as it relates to worshiping God. Because there's always a concern. It's always a concern. Every generation you live in. The culture is grabbing you, trying to grab you. That's why it's a concern, right? That they can marry, like, within their family. Because the person you marry, they're going to exercise a huge amount of influence on you. You better be careful. That's the thinking that Joseph has right now. And so it says in chapter 47, verse 1, so Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, he says, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen and from among his brothers he took five men. We don't know which five but he grabs five of his brothers he presents them to Pharaoh and Pharaoh said to his brothers what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. Your servants are shepherds. Here's what Pharaoh's wanting to know in this section. What do you guys do for a vocation. What do you guys do for a job? What do you guys do for work? He's okay with them being shepherds. It's not threatening them being shepherds. As I said earlier, they're not business guys, they're not military officers, they're just shepherds. No one wants to be a shepherd, okay? The Egyptians are like, oh yeah, those guys are, ooh, yucky. Like whatever that disgusting job that is coming to your mind right now, like in that context, that was being a shepherd. And and here's the point. The point's this. You don't always have to have the best position. I mean, just think about how this applies to a local church. When it comes to serving a local church, and and you should be serving, and if you're not a part of a local church and you're not plugged into a local church, you're not serving a local church, you need to be. You do. Don't brush off what I'm saying. That's important. But I'll tell you, we we don't usually have a long line for people that say, hey, I want to be the guy that takes out the trash. I want to be that guy. But you know what we do usually get a much longer line for? People who say, I want to preach. I want to play in the worship team. I want to do that. It's not bad things. I'm not saying that if you're not, I'm not saying if you're gifted in those areas, not to serve. But, but here's, here's what I'm saying. In other words, you shouldn't be focused on seeking the best or highest position. The brothers don't say, well, you know, Joseph's the number two guy. He's like VP of operations. We want to be like the assistant to his position. Okay? You saw what I did right there. Hashtag the office. They don't say that. They're like, we want to be number three. We want to be number four. They accept what God has for them and they trust that it's good for them. That can be hard sometimes, especially with this thing called pride, to accept what God has for us and trust that it's good for us. And so verse four says, they said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land For there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please, let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land, and let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Here's what Joseph said trying to do the whole time. He's looking out for his family. In the whole story, he's looking out for his family. He's looking out for his family economically. He's looking out for his family spiritually. He wants to make sure they don't integrate into Egyptian society. I mean, Joseph is concerned about his family. Financially, of course. Spiritually, absolutely. And I'll meet a lot of Christians today and they'll have an economic plan, but they don't have a spiritual plan. And The the truth is you need both. And people will tell me, hey, Joe, I'm thinking about moving to this city. I'm going to move to this state because financially I can do way better in that city or I can do way better financially in that state. And all they look at is the bottom line, the dollars and cents, their bank account. And they don't think about the spiritual impact if they move to that location. They don't think about how that area will impact them spiritually, how it would impact their family. They're like, well, I don't even have a family. I know, but one day you will. And your kids are, are going to go to school there. They don't think about their future. They don't think about their future children. They're like, dude, the real estate over there, dude, it's awesome. And I'm like, that place is Sodom and Gomorrah. And they're like, no, nah, now nah, you're just overreacting. And you know what happens in a lot of these stories? I've been, I've been pastoring here almost 10 years, guys. Almost 10 years I've been pastoring. And so many people, they prioritize the financial, and they don't give a single thought to the spiritual. And so many people have gone and left, and they do very well financially, but they pay a very high price. Or Jesus might say, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit your soul? See, so many people put their entire focus and their whole plan on the here and the now, on the economics of the situation, and they fail to think about the future, and they fail to think about the spiritual implications for their family and their future family. But wisdom also works both ways, because what I've also learned is there are some people who are really good with money, but they're not really good when it comes to walking with God. And then there are people, family members I have, who are good at walking with God, They can't even pay their bills. And they're so incredibly foolish when it comes to how they handle money. Okay, I'm not saying it's it's one or the other. I'm saying it's a a both-and approach. There must be a wise approach to these matters. And I think it's best illustrated in the life of Joseph how he negotiates this land grant with Pharaoh, right? Not just to provide for his family economically, but to make sure, right, that they can be set apart for the service of the Lord. And so... Verse seven, then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and he stood in before Pharaoh and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. He brings his dad in, introduces him to Pharaoh. He says, dad, that's Pharaoh. That's the guy that thinks he's God. Please don't blow this and he blesses him and you say, well, what was his blessing about? Well, we can't, we can't say for sure. It might've been a prayer. I think it's certainly fair to assume that the blessing had some type of underlying religious context, but the exact details, we just don't know. And so we, we step back at the end of the story, this interaction between Jacob and Pharaoh, and we might be tempted to comment and say, he blessed him? How does that make any sense? Pharaoh's the top dog. He's the big cheese. He's way more powerful and way more wealthy than Jacob. What what could he possibly, what could Jacob possibly offer him that he doesn't already have, that he doesn't already possess? What could Jacob possibly say to bless him? And sometimes that's where our mind goes. But the truth is, Jacob has one thing that Pharaoh doesn't. Jacob knows and loves God and is known by God. You see, the story here today began with Jacob recognizing the necessity of spiritual preparation for his journey to Egypt. Remember, beginning of the story, beginning of the sermon, he stops the entire family, all 65 of them, right? In Beersheba, to worship God amidst the chaos, amidst the hectic schedules. And Jacob can be seen and observed, not just making God a priority, but depending upon God in that moment. Are you like him? Are you like Jacob? Do you depend on God? See, my experience, even among Christians, we depend on friends. Friends aren't bad. We depend on family. It's not bad. Tools or shrewd business acumen. But when it comes to depending upon God... Sometimes it only kicks in once we've exhausted every other option. See, sometimes we don't run to God and the things of God because we're so stubborn and we refuse the raft until we're actually drowning. And I'd submit to you that depending on God should not be a means of last resort, but rather a means of first resort and all others last. Jacob is able to bless the the pagan, unregenerate, non-Christian pharaoh the same way that we are today because Jacob knows and Jacob loves and Jacob depends on God and furthermore, he's known by God. If you're not like him, then I would just simply say today is that day that you need to know him and be known by him the way that Father Jacob was. And so as the team comes, I want to pray for us. Lord, I love this story today. Jacob is far from a perfect character in the Bible. But it's so encouraging to see the good parts of his life where he leads his family well. And he he shows by example to his family, how important worshiping and serving you is. Not when life is convenient, but in the midst of the chaos. I pray God that we would think generationally. I pray that we would think about the future, not just about ourselves, that you would protect us from selfishness and pride Lord, and that you would give us, Lord, a heart like Edwards. That you would give us a heart that cares about others. We need your help, Lord. We need your help. Help us to care about those around us. This new semester, this new year, oh Lord, give us a passion for the lost and the unchurched and the unreached. Give us a passion for them. Help us to care. Lord, so many Christians, Lord, they just don't care about anyone other than themselves. Forgive us for those moments of just pure selfishness in our lives. You're so good and you're so kind to us. We owe you everything. We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.